Hello and welcome. This is The Dan Chronicles, a free newsletter and podcast where each month I find five interesting things that I think you should know about. It's January 2024. I'm Dan Berg, and let's kick things off with a little housekeeping. Hey, everybody. So this month, I've been thinking a lot about motivation versus discipline and how they're two very distinct drivers that are not always in sync. Motivation is really the things you want to do. uh, And discipline is the things that you spend your time doing. Like, for example, I've been motivated to write a book about FinOps for years, but I haven't really had the discipline to actually spend real time working on it. This means that there's been a mismatch between my physical actions in the real world and the goings-on in the world that only exists inside my head. Often, there are valid reasons why we lack discipline to work on the things, the ambitious tasks that we feel motivated to do. For example, this is often a full-time job that leaves us feeling just lacking energy outside of that job, or we have families and, and kids that might take up all of our time. Uh, But on a rare occasion, you might come face to face with that disconnect between motivation and discipline, and you must confront it head on. For example, when you're laid off from your full-time job and you've secured some decent uh, paying part-time work and you make a deliberate decision that it's finally time to buckle down and write that book that you've been thinking about for years. Uh, In case you hadn't been following along, the above paragraph actually refers to me. I am the one who recently lost my job, and I think I'm going to write a book. And so I am staring straight on between the differences between motivation and discipline and wondering if I can actually have the discipline to do what I am motivated to do. So that means career-wise, I am officially on my own, and I'm consciously not taking another full-time job for just a little bit while I work on making sure that my actions, my discipline, match my words, which is my motivation and what I've told people that I'm doing, which is writing a book. So channeling Zay Frank, this is an invocation for beginner beginnings because my past failures at follow-through are no indication of my future performance. Phew. Okay, let's do this. You may have noticed a feel-good story uh, from the New York Times and other places in the headlines this month. There's a 13-year-old boy, and he is the first person to beat Tetris. If you saw the headline and you didn't click through the story, that's totally understandable. It's certainly one of those stories where one might assume that just reading the headline is enough to tell you the entire story. Um, But I'm here to tell you that this accomplishment actually has way more depth, and the story is actually super interesting. Uh, In the same way that there was a documentary recently called Free Solo that was about climbing El Capitan, and that really made audiences appreciate what climbing is and the accomplishment that it was, there's a 16-minute video that does the same thing for this new tennis accomplishment. It does a fantastic job of sort of taking the stakes and the context and the accomplishments then for this task that will go down in video game history. So if you're kind of curious about what it actually means to beat Tetris, I highly recommend checking it out. Earlier 
Earlier this month was CES, the Consumer Electronics Show that takes place in Las Vegas every year. The show itself has much less of an impact on my life than it did many years ago, back when I was a technology reporter and I actually attended the conference for work. Uh, but it's still fun to watch from the sidelines and pay attention to the intricate dance of marketing drama in the tech world. One bit of inside baseball I always like to catch is what Apple is doing during the conference. CES is huge, with approximately 135,000 attendees and 4,000 vendors. Many of these vendors take the opportunity to launch new products or features at this well-attended and highly reported event, making it prime time for announcements. But there's always one vendor that is conspicuously absent, and that is Apple. For Apple, it's a power move. Apple doesn't need this big event to capture it, uh, any headlines. It commands news cycles all on its own. And one of the ways that Apple likes to poke at CES is by doing its best to dominate headlines with Apple stories, despite the massive news-filled event of CES. And that is why earlier this month on January 8th, one day before CES 2024 began, Apple officially announced the pre-order and launch date for its new augmented reality virtual reality headset, the Apple Vision Pro. Of course it did. Uh, the news, uh, of course, dominated the news cycle as well as the social media chatter. Uh, and all I can say is bravo, Apple. going to spend one more newsletter section talking about Apple, but only because there were actually two polar opposite Apple stories in the news this month. And I sort of think the juxtaposition is possibly even more interesting than each story individually. So the first story, as I mentioned, is the Apple Vision Pro. And there's this 10 minute promotional video from Apple where it shows a guided tour of the product through the experience of someone trying it for the first time is a really great way for anybody to kind of see what the product is all about. Uh, and as far as my personal opinion, I find the device to be super interesting, not as a product necessarily, but as an attempt. Apple is trying something new. It's taking the still nascent industry of AR, VR, and it's creating a, an attempt in this space. It is not a product for everyone or even a product for most people. Uh, but as someone who likes Apple myself, it is interesting to watch these moonshot attempts. And I'm, I'm definitely paying attention very closely. As far as the second story, in the same month that Apple announced its highly anticipated Vision Pro, it also halted the sale of the latest Apple Watches due to being on the losing end of a patent dispute. So the two watches, the first one is the Apple Watch Series 9, and the second is the Apple Watch Ultra 2, include improved blood oxygen sensors that infringe on the patents held by a device company called Massimo. So last month, Apple lost its bid to stop the sales ban, meaning that they were officially banned and Apple had to halt the sale of the watches, I think on December 21st last month. Uh, as of Thursday, so a few days ago, it is back on the market, nearly one month after the sales halted, um, and it still has those same blood oxygen sensors in it, but they have been disabled in order to maintain selling the devices, even though there is this patent infringement. Uh, it's just interesting to see these two stories of one launching this new product category and the other just completely 
not being able to do what it wants. And so the moral of each of these stories, I guess, is move fast and break things, I guess. Going back to the topic of CES, there was one product announcement that managed to break through and gain some media attention. It's a handheld AI-powered assistant called the Rabbit R1. There's a 25-minute keynote that is very much an Apple-like strategy for launching something, and it does a really great job of explaining this little handheld device's feature and use cases. Uh, And if you're wondering why this gadget in particular caught people's attention, I mean, just look at it. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, If you can... Google it online, the Rabbit R1, or if you're reading the newsletter, click on the link to click through. And of course, it's beautiful because it was designed by Teenage Engineering. They're the Swedish consumer electronic company that is famous for its award-winning designs and just fantastic product partnerships, including with Panic on the Playdate handheld gaming device, which I've talked about in the newsletter before. Honestly, I would probably buy one if I hadn't just lost my job. Uh, the device is, the, the price is right, right? It's only $199, which is not cheap, but is way more competitively priced than I expected. And the cool thing is, is there's no monthly fee. So usually with these kind of things, there's a subscription. So you just pay the one time $199 and you have this device, which is awesome. Um, but like the Apple segment that I just talked about above, uh, the story itself, this Rabbit M1 R1, is much less interesting than the juxtaposition of this story against a different story. In this case, comparing the Rabbit R1 next to the Humane AI pen, which I discussed a few months ago in November's newsletter. So both of these are AI assistants, but one just feels right, the Rabbit R1, and one just feels wrong, the Humane AI pen. I'm trying to think about why that is. And at this point, I think the real difference between these two products is transparency and trust. As someone who uses AI on a near daily basis, I know how often it is wrong. AI is wrong a lot, maybe even more than half of the time. And R1, this handheld device with a little screen on it, gives users a view into what's happening when it's answering questions, whereas the AI pin relies on blind trust. Now, it's possible that in the future, we'll realize that the AI pin was ahead of its time, but that doesn't do anything to help the product today. So between the two, I'm going to take the R1 every time. Lastly, my wife Avi asked if she could write a section for the newsletter this month, so I happily gave up some space for her thoughts. Her inspiration a story in the Atlantic that particularly resonated with her. And I'm going to let her take it from here. For the last few years, I've been really fascinated by contemporary sociology, thinking about things like why we live the way we live, why we behave as we do, and why our lives look a certain way. I'm always trying to understand more about the modern human behavior. And more importantly, I seek out ways to have deep, meaningful relationships with the people in my life. I think that America's late 20th century embrace of individualism has enabled people to pursue their dreams in a way that has never been possible, but that it's also produced some unintended consequences in the ways that we live. I've never been particularly religious, and I've never liked the argument that societies need religious institutions in order to function. But 
I do think that our country is drifting away from the institutions and structures that create collective moral formation, whether that's religious or something else. This article presents moral formation as something that's not solely created by religious spaces, but that used to be more present in many spheres of day-to-day life in this country. I especially liked how the article recognizes the failings of pre-1950 moral structures and that the article also proposes ways to implement a new moral framework for our modern society. And that brings us to the very end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed it, please share this with a friend. You can send them to my website, danb.org slash newsletter to sign up or directly to Substack at dannberg.substack.com. This was all written by me, Dan Berg, produced by me, Dan Berg, and we'll see you next month.